Yeah, I think we found the office fans, so that's awesome. Well, welcome again and welcome everybody at Montrose and good to see you guys all this weekend. We started a new series last weekend called Toxic and uh, in this series, what we're doing is we're talking about relationships and uh, we said that we talk, we talk about relationships a lot here at Grace. Uh, because relationships are foundational to life, right? It's just the way that God created us, starting with our relationship with him and then flowing out of that. And so when relationships are strained, when they're under pressure, when they're toxic, uh, it really doesn't matter what else is going on in life. You can be hitting home runs at work or doing great at school, but if that friendship is broken, if that marriage is tense, if there's a break in your uh, relationship with your kids, your parents, it winds up being a really, really big deal. And so we focus on that. Now, as we talk about this, um, there's like a couple of different ways to hear it. So one would be this. If you're not a Christ follower yet, uh, then the way that you'll kind of hear this conversation is you'll hear it uh, kind of like a little bit of like practical advice. So maybe some input and some viewpoints that you haven't heard or thought about before and they may wind up showing up and being helpful, especially if you're in a broken relational cycle. If you're a Christ follower, we, w- we would hear it a little bit differently. Uh, because we learned last weekend that as a Christ follower, if I, if I take the Jesus path and I allow God to define and direct my relationships, then what I've done, when I've invited Jesus in, when I've asked for the forgiveness of my sin and I placed my life under his definition and direction, what I've done is I've invited in the power of God in my life. And so the Bible says that as a Christ follower, The Holy Spirit lives within me. Uh, The power of God lives within me. The fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, is being produced within me by God. And so I have some new tools and I have some new choices and I can be a different person because I'm accessing all of that. So if you're not a Christ follower yet, Super glad that you're here and that you're online and you're, you know, having this conversation with us. I'm letting you know that that's available uh, through salvation and Jesus Christ. But we would hear those two things differently a little bit because we're going to hear that access to God's power. And then as a Christ follower, I want my relationships to be healthy, not, not just because it kind of makes life easier, although we all want that. I also want my relationships to be healthy because the Bible would use this word, it bears witness or it's a testimony of what God is doing in me. So God's relationship with me defines my relationship with you. Your relationship with me does not determine my relationship with you. And as I let God change me and alter me and that affects you, that makes Jesus make sense to the people around us. So we got into that like a lot last weekend. And so the app, there's a podcast, it's online, it's on the website, all that kind of stuff. Maybe listen to that, download it, and catch up a little bit and kind of fill in those blanks some. Now, last weekend, as we talked about all this, I I said that this weekend I wanted to help us uh, start to put some practical handles on this. And so last weekend we're kind of laying down a foundation or a paradigm of thought This weekend, I want to start making that real, real practical. And then for the next two weekends, that'll be the vibe a little bit about how do I do that and how do I move 
forward with it. So talking about these toxic relationships, a toxic relationship, it, it, it's, it's mutually destructive. It's pulling me away from my commitment to Christ. It's defining my responses to you. What you do to me defines my response to you. And that causes conflict. And when we think about detoxifying a relationship, what we're usually talking about oftentimes is we're talking about how do I manage that toxic conflict? So how do I take it? If we're like this all the time and that's driving both of us nuts, can I manage that differently and bring something different to the table in order to get a different outcome? And then what would you do practically? And that's what we're going to talk about this weekend. So the path we're going to take this weekend is this. We're going to talk about the source of the conflict. You might be surprised what that is, but we're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about three ways to detoxify that conflict. How do you change the cycle? And then we're going to talk about this idea of surrendering yourself to prison. And that will make sense more when we, when we get there, right? So we'll, we'll kind of take that journey. So Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're, we've been hanging out. Uh, you can open your Bibles there. But I actually want to start in a different passage by talking about this source of conflict. So where does conflict come from? And if I can understand where it comes from, I can interact with it differently, okay? So thankfully, God speaking through the Apostle James tells us where conflict comes from. And so James writes this in James chapter 4. He asks the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And then he answers it. He says, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. So James says, let's just talk about like the source of all of this. When when I'm thinking about why are we locking heads? Why do we have this toxic relationship? Where does that come from? And James says, that actually comes from some place that you may not expect. That comes from you. So you desire something, you want something, and you don't get it. And when I want something and I don't get it, and somebody else wants something and they don't get it, that's what causes the fights and the quarrels among you, right? So if I want to change that cycle, because I want, I want, I want, I want, I think, I think, well, I think, and I think, well, my opinion is, well, my opinion is, my truth is, my truth is, you're only going to lock heads, right? That's the pattern we've got in these relationships. James would probably back us up if he was teaching here this weekend. And he'd be like, hey, if you could realize that it starts with you and not with them, it'd be a game changer. Now, for all of us, that feels foreign because we're raised in a culture. And what that culture has taught us is that my response is based on you, And if I have a problem, it's because of you. See, my environment defines me and my truth is the truth and I should live for myself and do what's in my own best interest. And if you stand in the way of that, the problem is you. In fact, we'll even talk about conflict that way. We'll be like, I don't know. We're fighting like crazy. Oh, come. Because she's crazy, man. She is crazy. And if she wasn't crazy, 
I wouldn't be acting crazy. I, I ripped his head off. Why did he rip his head off? Because he's angry. He's so angry all the time. And if he wouldn't blow a gasket, I wouldn't blow a gasket. Why are you guys not getting along? Because they never fill in your blank, right? They never clean. They never help. They never pick up. They always, and we've been taught that, We've been taught to look at life from ourselves out. And so if we're in conflict, it must be because of you. You're toxic. And I have to cut you out of my life in order for me to find the peace that I want and need and desire in my life. And James comes in and he's like, hey, actually, mm, it's the opposite. The thing that causes these fights and quarrels is you desire, but you don't have. You covet or you want it, but you can't get it. And your desire to look out for yourself and to focus on yourself, you have a desire, you have an expectation, you have what you want. That's actually the source of the issue. When you're that way and they're that way, you're always gonna wind up like this, right? Now, those desires come from different places, right? So some of those desires are personal and, and they're, they, 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 they just are unique to you, right? So you have expectations and those expectations are unmet. I expected that we were gonna leave on time. So I went to sit in the truck and I expected you to be behind me because we're going to a movie and I expect if I'm going to spend $400,000 to see the new Marvel movie, I expect to be there and yes, the previews are a part of the movie experience, right? I have, I have a personal expectation. If I could run the world and make everything function the way that I want it to function, I would do it like this. But they have a different expectation. But I want and I desire, and they're not meeting that expectation. What causes fights and quarrels among you? See, I have plans. I planned that we were gonna do this, 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 and this. I expected when I came back that the dorm would be clean. I expected that if I work all day and you're at home with the kids, the kitchen would be clean. After all, what are you doing at home all day with the kids? I dare you to ask that question, right? <laughs> right? I, I have an expectation and it's unmet. Some of those desires may be emotional. I, I have pain in my life. And when, my, when, when dad was mad at me, he raised his voice. And I don't want you to ever do that. It makes me feel a certain way. Well, I have different motives than your dad did. I know, but I, I desire that not to happen. So I don't really care what your motives are. I'm only hearing your tone. I have insecurities. I expect, like I expected when we got married, like our sex life would be great and you would be affectionate and, because it relieves my insecurities. That's not happening. It's a desire that I covet but I'm not 
getting. I have anxiety. And I expected that, that as my friend, you would always be sensitive to that and always minister to my anxiety. I didn't expect you to have other friends. I want that. I need that. Some of them are emotional. And then some are, are just selfish and sinful. Why can't you pooper scoop the yard? Why can't you do it? Why can't you do it? Why can't you do it? Well, I guess it's not getting pooper scooped. We're having company. They have babies. Well, that's going to be awkward, isn't it? (laughs) And I just don't want to do it. And you don't want to do it. And I don't want to serve you. And you don't want to serve me. All of these are desires. See? And they're deep within us. And they're in us for a bunch of different reasons. And James says, if you, wanna, if, if you want to trace the source of the conflict, that, con, that, that fight you've been having for the last 10 years that you always have, that, that tension in the dorm, the reason I haven't spoken to my family forever, if you reverse engineered that and brought it back down to its very, very genesis, what you would find is you had a desire and they had a desire and those weren't met. And that started a conflict and it has grown and grown and grown and grown from there, right? So that's important because if I'm, if I'm trying to detoxify conflict in my life and I start with you, you gotta change, you gotta be different Your behavior defines my behavior. I can even spiritualize that. God, I'm praying that you you change her, change her, smite her, whatever you gotta do, God. Like, you gotta make them, and James is like, actually, that's all the wrong thing. You should start with you. And if you have chosen the path of Jesus, and you have said, God, define me and direct me. And you have said, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me your Holy Spirit. Give me your word. Give me your people, new tools. And you can make new choices because you can't control them. If you could have controlled them, you would have controlled them a long time ago. If you could have fixed them, you would have fixed them, right? But God, you control me. And I come to this as a different person Could that change, see, the foundation of this conflict between us, right? Now, what Paul does then in Ephesians chapter four is he says, yes, and we looked at that path. It looked like at the end of uh, Ephesians chapter four last weekend. So you can listen to that. But he laid out that path. I wanna go to the beginning of Ephesians chapter four this weekend. I just wanna show you two verses. But he lays out some key things that I can bring to bear onto the source of that conflict that will detoxify it. So let's look at these these three ways to detoxify a conflict. So Paul says this, Ephesians chapter four, verse two. He says, if you're a Christ follower, this is how this works. The way that you wanna approach this is be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be completely humble and gentle Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Very simple, not mind-boggling stuff, but to get our head and our heart and our lives around it, very profound. And it will literally change our lives. 
if we can let God do this work in us, okay? So let's look at this. First thing he says is be completely humble. So humility is the first thing that I bring to conflict to, to detoxify it. Humility, best definition I ever heard that I like is the laying aside of my perceived rights. Humility is when I purposely and intentionally lay aside my perceived rights. The example of humility that we have in our lives is Christ. So Ephesians chapter two, verses six and eight, my favorite, some of my favorite verses of the whole Bible. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ has rights. He's God. He's the creator. He set those rights aside. He humbled himself to pursue us, to love us, to give his life for us. Didn't have to do it, decided to do it. He is our example of humility. When I think about relationships then, it's me setting aside my perceived rights. If I acted humbly in my relationship that there's conflict in, would it change the tenor of the conflict? So this is what happens. When I have the wrong source, and I think conflicts comes from the outside, and I don't remember or realize that it comes from the inside, that it's not you, it's the desires that battle within me that causes these fights and quarrels. Right? When, I, when I get that mixed up, what happens is I will interact with somebody and they will wrong me. That's going to happen. Conflict's unavoidable. What human beings do the most naturally and the most often is we sin against each other. It's our nature. So conflict is going to happen. When conflict happens and I say it's your fault, the minute that I identify it as your fault, I will start to build a rationale and a justification as to why I am right. The reason why it's your fault is because you did this, therefore I have the right. The reason why, why don't you, why don't you talk to your parents? Because 20 years ago, they didn't do blah, blah, and that gave me the right and when I get into a conflict, I perceive that I am righteous in that conflict. I am right and you are wrong. And if you would admit that you are wrong and that I am right, we wouldn't be in conflict anymore. I'm looking out, I'm not looking in. The longer I have that position and hold it, the more sophisticated and the more grand my rationales and my logic and my evidence becomes for being in conflict with you. Not only did they do this, but they did this and then they did this and then they did this and then they didn't even call. And we will build that rationale out and it will be greater and it will be more sophisticated and 
in that line of thinking, there is no hope ever that that conflict is going to be resolved because the person on the other side of it thinks that they are right and you are wrong and they're building out their same rationale. And that's always going to lead you to a relational death spiral. And Paul says, left to ourselves, that's what we're going to do. But if we took the Jesus path and the Holy Spirit could interrupt us because we now can understand humility because Christ has shown it to us. And if God could intervene through the power of his spirit, the power of his word, the power of his people, and we could be completely humble to each other and lay aside our rights, that could completely change the relational playing field that we're functioning on. I'm convinced that 87%, I don't, you know, they say 99% of stats are made up on the spot, so I'll make one up. Uh, 87%, I just made it up, 92%. I'm, I'm convinced that most of our relational conflict could be altered. I'm at your throat, you're at mine. I'm convinced most of that could be altered, ready? With about 60 seconds of humility. If I come home and I walk in and I do the survey and something's not the way that I want it, the thoughts that are going to rush to my mind are, I work like a dog, I've been gone all day, why has it, I have the right to have this expectation met. If I could lay aside my perceived rights for about 60 seconds, it would alter. I, I'm, I'm in charge and you should be doing this. And the problem is, if I could, if I could inject about 60 seconds of humility, it's time to plan Christmas and it's time, which means it's time to reignite all the fights and all the gossip starts up. If I could about 60 seconds say, it doesn't take much. And if I could allow God to empower me and change me for a minute, when I'm tense and I fire up and I can't believe we're here again, if I for about a minute could ask the Holy Spirit to empower humility within me. See how that works? Simple, deeply profound. So Paul says, Let, let's do complete humility. The second way that he kind of gives us to detoxify conflicts is this idea of gentleness. Be completely humble and gentle, he says. Gentleness, found this definition, I like it. Gentleness is might restrained. It's might restrained, right? And again, I don't know, my dad wasn't gentle, my mom wasn't gentle. That's cool, that's all right. Because your God is. And if you're a Christ follower, even if you're not, you're an object 
of God's gentleness. There's a few places in the Bible that God's people lose sight of this. And so every once in a while, God's like, hey, let me just remind you guys, right? Uh, what's going on here? And one of those places in Jeremiah chapter 12, he, or chapter 32, he's talking to the Israelites. And this is one of these definitions. He says, I'm the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Because they're kind of complaining against God. He's like, can I just, can I just like press pause for a minute? I am God. And you complaining to me about me is just not going to go well. So I am God of all mankind. Nothing's too hard for me. I created the heavens and the earth. I sustain the heavens and the earth. I hold the very breath of man within, within my hand. Uh, I know the future and, and I am the future and I am the past. In fact, I've always existed. You don't get that one. You will when you get to heaven. Don't worry, I'll make it happen. It, see? I am the all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God. Do you remember that? And I can stop the planet when I want because I started it when I want. And who are you, oh man, to speak back to me? He's got might. But the Apostle Paul later on in the Bible says, God is gentle. He uses that might. He restrains it, so to say. And the Bible says it's that very power that raised Jesus from the dead. So God takes his strength and he takes his power and he directs it toward us with gentleness. He uses his strength to restore and to rebuild and to rescue. He doesn't have to, he chooses to. So in relational conflict, Paul's like, um, you know what you could do? If you laid aside your rights for a minute, because many of us, Ready? Have the right to might. I'm a dad. I have the right to might. I own everything. I own everything. Child, I own your house. I own your car. I own your phone. I own your food. I own your air conditioning. I own your heat. I own the grass you walk on. I own your dog. I own your education. I own everything. I have the right to might. Many of us are bosses. You have the right to might. I'm in charge. I'm in charge. You have the right to might. And God's like, I'm God. Paul says, in relational conflict, if I can be humble for a minute and then bring my might to bear to restore and to rebuild and to rescue in gentleness, would that be a game changer? Because you know what? You really are the one that's wrong. And I really do have the right to be mad. And not only that, I have power. I'm your dad. And I told you what time to be home. And do you know what a curfew is? Because apparently you forgot. You know what a cell phone is? Because you don't pick it up. And that's weird, because I pay the bill. I have the, I have the right where is that going to move me relationally? You know what? I make the most money in this house. So I, I make the most, you spend the most. I, I have the right, but there's nothing restorative. There's nothing that builds. 
There's no heart that rescues. See? So Paul says, be completely humble. It'll, it'll change the game. Be gentle. It'll change the game. And then he says this, and be patient. And, I, and then he kind of defines it a little bit. It says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And I wrote this part. This is the commitment to journey. So be patient, bear with one another in love, or journey with people. This is what happens in conflict. When we're in conflict, we break down. And maybe they are wrong and you are right. And maybe you do have the might and they should just do what they're told. But why can't they get their act together? Human beings don't learn truth by hearing it. We learn truth by experiencing it. So you telling me you love me doesn't make any sense to me. You showing me you love me is how that makes sense. You telling me about, I could teach on grace for six months, you'd never understand it. But you experience grace once and it all makes sense. Because we learn by seeing and we usually have to see it more than once. So when someone can't understand something, Paul would say, you realize like that's your relationship with God, right? Like you don't get God. You don't really get your need for salvation. You know, like that, those lights come on over time and God is patient with you. So you understand patience. He bears with you in love because none of us are really good at following God, right? I'm not. If you are, you should let me know. Like I mess it up all the time. So he bears with me in love, right? And when I'm patient and I bear with you in love, what I'm giving you is the gift of my presence. I'm willing to journey with you. I have a friend I was talking to recently and he struggles with mental illness. And he was talking to me just about how frustrated he is about his own mind. He's like, I, I just, it drives me nuts. I can't think straight. And I know this fact, but I can't compute it. And we're just having these long conversations about this. He's like, Jeff, I know it drives you nuts and it spills over into your life and this and that. And at the end of the conversation, I said to him, I said, brother, I said, listen, I can't understand what you're going through. I don't struggle with mental illness. My brain does what I want it to do. So I, I really can't. I, I can't really walk a mile in your shoes. I can't relate to it. But I said to him, what I can do is walk with you. That's what I got. I can be present. Well, it's just so hard to know me. It's so hard to love me. And I said, I know that. You don't have to tell me it's hard to know you and hard to love you. I know that. But I love you. And when I signed up for this friendship, I knew that you were you. So I'm in. Right? All I can give him, I can't give him an answer. I can't make him change. I can't make him learn it. I can't make him get it. All I can do is show up. I can be patient and bear with him in love. See? 
Now guys, in this is some really, really good news. Ready? You know what this means? If I can be humble and gentle and then patient and bear with one another in love, what that means is you don't have to be good at relationships. You just have to show up. I'm, I'm convinced that 90% of parenting is showing up. You don't have to have a good dad. You don't have to grow up in a functional family. It, that would be great, and there's, a, there's so many advantages to it, but most of you didn't. You don't have to be awesome at being a dad. You just have to be present. And your presence is 90% of it. You don't have to be super mom. Yeah, super mom, she makes her kids lunch. She knows where they're at. You know, stuff like that. Like, super mom. You don't have to be super mom. You just have to be present mom. I'm here, I'm trying, I love you, I prioritize you, I cheer for you. I make a terrible sandwich. So you don't have to be good at it. Patience and bearing with one another in love. You don't have to be awesome at being a friend. You don't have to be the funniest. You don't have to be the most enlightened. You don't have to be the most talented. You know what a, you know what a true friend is? A true friend is the one who is sitting by you when your life blows up. That's all you gotta be. The one who's sitting by them. The one that shows up. And when I'm humble and I'm gentle and I show up, that change things? When your friend's so mad at you, but you reach out to them, is that a game changer? You haven't talked to your sister forever, but you invite her over, is that a game changer? We don't have to live this way. Not in Christ. We're just used to living this way. But in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, God's word, God's people, all of that can be new in me. Now, the key to all this, I told you it sounds funny, is to surrender yourself to prison. And I got this out of the first verse. So Ephesians chapter four, we looked at verse two, but verse one, Paul says this. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. So Paul uses this like word picture and he's like, guys, when you're thinking about this, think of yourself as a prisoner to the Lord. Now Paul was a guy that spent a lot of time in and out of prison because he wouldn't shut up about Jesus. So he'd go to a city, he'd start preaching. The Romans would come and like arrest him and throw him in prison. They're like, listen, if you'll just shut up, then we'll, we'll let you out of prison. And, and he's like, well, I got some bad news for you. <laughs> uh, the minute you let me out, I'm gonna start talking about Jesus while I'm here. I'm gonna start talking about Jesus. When you take me to trial, I'm gonna start talking about Jesus. So you're not getting rid of me. So he was in and out of prison, but this was his thinking. His thinking was this, I'm a prisoner because I want to be. I can get out of this anytime that I want. 
but I'm a prisoner for the Lord. I, I will not surrender Christ's definition and direction of my life. That's why I'm sitting in prison. So he uses this word picture. He's like, that's you. You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to be humble and gentle and patient. You can go do what you've been doing. I mean, it's up to you. You'll just wind up where you've been winding up. But you probably won't get hit by lightning, probably won't get transferred to Michigan. Like, it probably won't happen to you. Do what you want. Or you can live as a prisoner. That Christ's definition and direction of my life brings a parameter to my life that is not my wants, my needs, my desires, my truth, myself, my... It's humility, gentleness, and patience. And because of the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the people of God, those are choices that I can actually make. But I think it's fascinating that he uses this word prisoner because prison isn't something that you get to tiptoe into. Like you in, you out. That's the way prison works. So if you stand here and you're like, I don't, I don't know, I'll try a little humility. See what a little humility does. That will, that will never work, ever. You, you will be seen as insincere. I give a little, little gentleness. <laughs> so what I do, I just get a little, little, little. You do that once, it, it's, like, it's not going to work. It's not going to work, Right? Patience one time. It's not, that's not at all what Paul's talking about. He's talking about a life transformed by the power of God. And a life transformed by the power of God is a life of a prisoner. That I am here under God's power and under God's definition because this is where I've chosen and where I want to be. I remember one time in high school, um, I, my, my, my home that I grew up in, my parents were wonderful people, loved me, loved Jesus. But I actually, I actually had a very difficult childhood in a lot of ways because my dad got sick. So in his mid-40s, he had a series of strokes that uh, disabled him. And then my mother would have been in her early 40s and I was 12, right? So I, I had a loving home, which was wonderful, but I had a difficult home. And uh, when I was in high school, I'm the baby of my family. And so my siblings had all left and I was like home alone with mom and dad in this difficult reality that we lived in. So dad was completely disabled, went into like a severe depression, like just his life blew up as really a young man. And my mom went into a severe depression because her life blew up too. So here she is like 42 and her, their world got wiped out, right? And so mom, mom went back to work. She got like a part-time job. Or it wasn't part-time, it was full-time. It was like minimum wage because she literally, like she had a child to feed. I couldn't even like go help right? And so she was kind of lost in that. My solution to all of this was to be very, very independent. And I, I'm still that way. Like most of what I think and feel is on the inside of my brain, right? And so I just problem solved that way because I was just alone. And so that, that was my house. And my mom was depressed. And so 
my mom, she's with the Lord now, but my, my mom would come home uh, from work every day. She'd be tired. She had a very bad back. She had broken her back in a car accident, and so a lot of pain. And so she would plop down in a recliner, and she would start eating, and she would eat for the rest of the night, and she would watch television. That's all she did every night of the week and all weekend. And so my mom was addicted to TV. Thank God there weren't smartphones. Or, I mean, we're addicted to our smartphones. She would have been like off the chart, but just like escaping through food and, and television. So I, even to this day, I hate like Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and things like that. I hate it because it, it, they, were, they were on television constantly in my house and it, it just literally brings back like bad memories for me, right? So that was my mom's pattern. So I went, I was in high school. I had a really rough day one day, was trying to deal with some things and 99% of the time, I just kind of dealt with everything on my own. This one, I was stuck and I needed some input, and so I needed parented. And so I went and I, I sat down beside my mom. She's eating and she's watching television. I said, Mom, I, uh, I had a really bad day. I need to talk to you about something. I started talking to her about it. About three, four minutes in, I realized she's not paying attention to me at all. She's trying to solve the puzzle on Wheel of Fortune, right? And, and I was so hurt and angry that I, I stood up and I said, mom, can you just turn the blank and television off and listen to me? What? In my house, that was like a, you didn't talk that way, right? My mom wouldn't let us say pee and poop. So like a curse word, like that would, that would have been a backhand at my house and she had pretty good aim with all that stuff. And so I, I said that she flipped around and she gave me like the, the death stare that all mothers have. You know what I mean? Like, just like you, you will not live through the night. That, that kind of look she gave me. And she looked at me and I looked at her and I don't know, I don't really know what happened, but I think she saw in my eyes that I was hurting and desperate, right? Ready? It was a terrible parenting moment. She blew it. She totally blew it. If you have teenagers and they want to talk to you, shut the world down and have the conversation because they don't want to do it much. So she totally blew it. She caught herself. My mom loved Jesus. And I think the spirit of God awoken her. Ready? And she had the right to lay into me because you don't nobody cusses their mother out she had the power the might to I own your house I own your car I own right but what she gave to me was humility and gentleness and patience. She didn't have to. She didn't do it because of me. She did it for me. Right? 
And in her stress, because I can't, I can't imagine my mother's life, the death of dreams, the insecurities, the fears, the, and her pain. The reason we weren't allowed to say anything remotely crude is because of the home she grew up in. All the wounds that I'm sure that triggered, having a teenage boy who's bigger than you and stronger than you and mad. But my, def- my behavior in that moment didn't define her behavior. Christ's behavior to her defined her behavior to me. And it was life-changing. I'm 50 years old. I'm st- I still get choked up about this. 16. It's life-changing for me. Right? And she wasn't hitting home runs as a mom. She couldn't. But she showed up in that moment. And you know what? For the rest of my life, to the day she died, that stupid television was on. But when I sat down and I said, hey, mom, can I ask you a question? She'd turn it off. Right? And she and I kind of knew what that was all about. Sixty seconds of humility. Rescued her kid. One act of restraint, because Phyllis hit you. <laughs> Phyllis hit you. One act of restraint, because I would have blown a gasket. See, she, God in a moment gave her a strength she didn't have. And she some, some patience. My kid's hurting. I'm just going to let this one slide. And guys, where this comes from, this is how God interacts with us. When you sit down with Jesus, he turns the TV off. Because you're running around, you don't think about him most of the day. You're doing your own thing. Most of the time you're frustrated because you think he's a God of rules. But man, when you're in trouble or you have a need or you're scared or your anxiety or your sin, click. And that's humility. Really? You're going to show up now? He humbled himself. Does it every day. I'm sick of you, kid. He restrains his power. He's gentle with us every day. Patient? Oh, man. Can you imagine if God ran out of patience? So we know what this is like. We live this way with Christ. And Paul says, just be a prisoner to that. 
And living a life worthy is not a life of performance. It's living life worthy is just, I remember what mom did, I'll do it. I realize what Christ did. And it's simple, it's not mind boggling, but it is profound and it will change the relational field. All right, band's gonna come out and they'll, they'll have to rearrange the stage a little bit, but um, why don't we pray while they do that? We pray, bow your heads for a minute. I wonder, I wonder if there's a relationship God is bringing to mind, a close one, a far off one, that needs 60 seconds of humility. One phone call, one text, one I'm sorry, one you were right, one forgive me. I wonder if there's a relationship you're dealing with now that needs gentleness and you are the boss and you're the coach and you're the dad and you're the mom and, and they are wrong and and I wonder if there's a relationship that patience, your presence is all that, it's all you have to offer. I just love you because I chose to love you. It's literally what grace means. <laughs> and I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And Jesus, thank you that we are the objects of that, Lord. God, you are God, you are high and lifted up, you are holy, you are righteous, you are just. And you're my friend. And you're a co-heir with me, Jesus, and you're God, you're gentle. We stink at following you. Everybody does. But you use your power to rescue and to restore and to help us. And so patient, God. If we're honest, the things that we do because we just decided to and we don't care in that moment and you're patient. So God, help us to love as we've been loved. This simple little talk, God, has such profound power when it's empowered through your word. So do that with us even now, God. It's not to other people that we lay down, it's to you that we surrender. It's to you that we give ourselves. And in these moments of worship and thought and prayer, God, would you draw our hearts towards you?